0: Hello everyone, you are listening to the latest Flyers Talk podcast presented by Great Railing. I am Jordan Hall and as always, I am joined by the wonderful Taryn Hatcher and the dynamic Joe Fordyce. The Flyers are 10 games into their season, they are 6-2-2. Overall, a pretty good start, I think fans are probably happy with it, I think the Flyers management and coaching staff is probably pretty pleased with the start considering the injuries they've had, but... We're going to look at surprises, both good and bad for the team so far uh, through this 10-game start. They have the Maple Leafs on Wednesday night at the Wells Fargo Center. You can catch pregame and postgame live with Taryn Hatcher, directed and produced by Joe Fordyce. So let's get into these surprises, both good and bad. Taryn, I will start with you. Your biggest surprise on the good side. Oh.
1: Um, I mean, I would say, well, probably, I mean, more than excuse me. Uh, I would say more than anything, probably Cam. I I know that everyone knew Cam could come in and be a goal scorer, but I think for him to come in as kind of like piping hot as he did goal scoring wise, um, even though he's gone a little bit quiet lately, goal scorers go on streaks. That just happens. I think he'll end up back on a streak pretty soon. Um, But the other one that I think is, it's not a surprise. It was just like a necessary check mark on the list for the flyers to be successful has been Carter Hart. Like, especially after opening night, opening night, I really thought, Oh gosh, there's still shades of the sins of last year haunting him. Um, and pretty quickly he put that to rest and, and you didn't see it again the way he goaltended in the Edmonton game, the way he goaltended in the Calgary loss, um, he's had a lot of really good games where you, you look, I mean, he's probably three games where you look at the score and you go, if this isn't Carter playing the way he did, the flyers either lose the game or they lose the game by a significantly larger margin. Um, And that just is necessary because I think we thought, can the flyers play around Carter if he's not good. And right now it's more often than not. um, Can the flyers pull through and not lose this game for Carter because he's been so good. Uh, so that would be the, the happiest surprise for me is, is even despite that second period of the opening night game where things look like they might go awry with Carter this year. Um, I think he looks like an improvement on pre 2021 Carter. I think he looks like he's taken that next step. We want him to take. Um, and that's, you know, that's going to be necessary for the Flyers' success this year, next year, many years to come. So
0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I think Carter Hart's been their biggest storyline so far this season, right? In In the sense that he had to get back to the Carter Hart of old, and so far through seven games, he really looks like himself. He's talking like himself. Everything about Carter Hart reminds us of before last season, and that's a really good sign.
1: Can I just add something to that? Speaking of talking like himself, because I was talking to Paul Holmgren about this and he had a good laugh out of it. Um, I found in our interactions with Carter and other interviews I've seen with Carter as well, I feel like last year, obviously the body language was bad. The confidence wasn't great. You could tell like he kind of wasn't himself, even when he would try to put on like a brave face publicly, all of that. This year, my experiences with Carter and other media interviews that I've watched Not only is he back to kind of being like lighthearted and even keeled, he's even like a little bit more so in the driver's seat of like media conversations where he'll very much be like, I don't really want to answer that. Or he's not afraid to shortchange an answer to a reporter that he doesn't really feel like he needs to justify, which is something that veteran players who have a fair amount of confidence in themselves and their own public image and and the things they say and, and the things that they do off the ice you notice with those players, you notice with like a Claude Giroux or James Henry like or whatever. Um, that's something that I've noticed Carter developed this year that I like. Cause it's, it's not, I'm, I'm this little kid with big expectations on a big stage anymore. He's very much not that he was ever a little kid, but I think there was like some wide eyedness to Carter Hart before. And I think he's, he shows up in its business and it's a job. And, and that's how he handles it is in this very, Seasoned veteran kind of way, Um, and I I really actually, as much as I hate it for me because we don't always get Carter giving us like a five minute answer because he feels pressured to to give me something for our interview. um, I like it for him because I think it shows a certain amount of maturity and confidence that you need to navigate the media and the world when you're a professional athlete. So. Very, just an interesting note. Paul Holmgren was like, when I said that to him, he was like, really? And I was like, yeah, he like, he'll say he would never used to say before, or he'd be like, oh, do I have to answer that? I'm a, I'm a little uncomfortable. Like he would be a little sheepish and now he'll, he'll just sit there and be like, yeah, I don't really want to answer that question if that's cool. And I'm like, okay, okay Carter, go for it. So interesting, interesting side note.
2: And you know, what's interesting too, and, and Taryn, we can go back to the press conference after the season opening game where, where you mentioned, we saw those kind of flaws that seemed to show up last year and people started to have some flashbacks. And then we saw his press conference. And I remember we did almost the whole segment on, on the post game show that night that his press conference looked different. And it was almost a comforting factor that he didn't have his head down. And he wasn't, his demeanor wasn't like uh, this sort of sad puppy dogish ish looking um, thing, which, last year happened almost regularly. And it was almost like, uh, you know what, see that he's going to be okay. Because look at that right there. He's, he's not, you know, he's not down on himself. He's not um, kind of feeling the blues. It's like, okay, when's the next game? And, and, and he's ready to go. And, and it's a distinct difference from what we saw a lot of last year. And, you know, it, it may sound trivial and, Uh, sort of like uh, focusing on things that don't matter, but I think it does matter. Um, A guy's demeanor matters. It matters in all sports. And and I I think you can go across the board and say the guys that mope around are generally not the guys that win. And when guys are – when you look at a guy talk in a press conference and if you didn't know, you couldn't tell whether they won or lost, aside from the words they're saying – that's a guy that is built and and is ready. I think to win and, and be a winner.
1: I think it's also in in like this really difficult time. It's also a reflection of just the guys, like honestly, like mental health through all of it, which we've seen how important it is. Look at what's going on with Carey Price up in Montreal. I mean, you feel for the guy. You feel terrible for his family, and you understand how it can. Ha- I mean, I could understand how it could happen to literally any player last year, given what their lives really looked like. I mean, I talked to Keith Yandel about being in Florida through it all. And he was like, you know, it's, it's a mixed bag of you're happy that the world is open around you a little bit and that the COVID numbers weren't that bad where he was, but also I can't do anything. So I'm observing a normal world, but I'm not participating in it here in Philly. There wasn't really a normal world to observe or to participate in for these guys. And it's, it's just, it's nice to see. And when we talked to him about Edmonton, Edmonton was open. He could do whatever he wanted. He could go wherever he wanted all summer long. It seemed like he had a very normal summer, which is a really good thing for him. Um, but it's also just, I personally, and people can call me a Homer or whatever they want about it. I don't really care. We're talking about human beings and it's important. I personally, last year when AV sat him, I started to sit there and go, Oh no, you know, is the mental health of this very young person living through a very challenging time in the world in a very high pressure situation? Is it going to be okay? Um, And this year he just, he's come back and he seems happier and stronger than ever. And that can only be a good thing for a human being. And for, you know, someone that's in a really high pressure position on your hockey team. So yeah, I, I fully agree. It's, it's like, it, it was, it was hard to watch sometimes last year. It was like, you almost wanted him to just, when AB sat him, you were kind of like, thank God, this kid needs a break. And at the same time you feel bad because there's, there's a certain level of, I think, shame maybe to that. It felt like there, might, there was for him. So I don't know. Good to see him back is, is the long story long.
0: 100%. Uh, good to see Carter Hart back. I'm sure Flyers fans feel the exact same way as Taryn and Joe uh, in that regard. I'm sure the team does too. Joe Foolice, how about you? Biggest surprise so far in this 10-game spark. 10 games. Yeah, excuse me. I,
2: I'm gonna say in the goal crease, and, and, and I'm gonna say Martin Jones. Um, I was super skeptical of this signing in the offseason. Um, I, I didn't like uh now I, I I do feel like because of Carter's situation last year and how much Brian Elliott had to play that we got a little spoiled by Brian Elliott and and Brian Elliott's attitude was always up and I'm here to do whatever for the team. And he would give you solid effort almost every night that he played. And uh, I think we got spoiled by the backup goaltender being essentially the starting goaltender for a lot of the season and playing like the starting goaltender. So you bring in Martin Jones um he's at a low price tag and it kind of seemed almost like this throwaway type of signing and it was just like okay if Carter doesn't play well we're in serious trouble here if Martin Jones has to play a lot um so two things have happened he hasn't had to play a lot and when he has played he's had unbelievable efforts against some of the big the top teams at this that this Flyers team has played so far on the schedule. And that I think is the part where um, you're kind of, I I don't want to say, I'm I'm not saying he's destined to fail, but like you're almost waiting for the, the carriage to turn back into a pumpkin or something here, like the way he's playing. Now the other night, I will say in the Flyers last game, I don't think there could have been more pucks shot into the logo on the jersey than you could find, but it doesn't matter. A save is a save and it has to be made regardless. You still have to move post to post. You have to track the puck. You have to deal with guys in front causing havoc, all of that stuff. And that's one game, but Martin Jones has been far and away better than I think anybody could have expected. Uh, certainly anybody that's watched him play for San Jose for the last three seasons or so. Um, and you know, let's, let's, not, um, let's not undersell what the backup goaltender is. Teams in this league, outside of maybe Tampa, who Vasilevsky plays generally more than most starting goaltenders around the league, teams don't win with one goaltender anymore. anymore. They just don't. They need to have another guy that comes in um, and, and, can, and can win a game, that, that can make a start against a solid team and give a solid effort and give his team a chance to win. And I would argue that Martin Jones has done way more than give his team a chance to win in every start that he's had this season. And really I can't even remember this season going, wow, that was a bad goal out by Martin Jones. It just hasn't happened. And to me, that's a surprise because I, 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 I would say I felt apprehensive about that signing. And again, it could be the Elliott factor. Um, the, re- the recent success is definitely part of it, but um, I'm going to say Martin Jones is by far my biggest surprise uh, for this team this year. So.
1: Especially because two of his wins came against Boston and the Caps. Yeah, like, it's not I like mean. they're putting I mean, Martin Jones in to play the Coyotes. They put him in against Boston and the Capitals and Vancouver and Vancouver. and He's played really well in Vancouver and he's from there, but like, the Capitals to, and Scott was the one who kept every, every shot. Caps take Scott was like, Oh, another, another shot right into the logo. Like he kept pointing it out. But the thing is, is that you look at like what if Ovi slap shots, one right into your logo, you just have to not give up a massive rebound, which Martin Jones also like was on top of that, that night, he played well against Boston. AV has put him in positions to play really good teams. And to me, and I haven't he hasn't I haven't talked to him about it. So this is just perception. To me, it seems like Martin Jones really wants to be a starter somewhere. Probably, you know, probably not here, but really wants to be a starter somewhere. And I thought if Carter didn't play well this season, that could get really ugly for the Flyers. If Martin Jones did come back, play really, really well, Carter didn't play well, Martin Jones wants to be a starter, Carter's, you know, whatever. And instead, you have a best case scenario, knock on wood, right now, where Carter is playing well. Martin Jones is trying to show someone that he can be a starter and he's playing like he can be a starter. So, yeah, the, the the goaltending situation I was I think we were all pretty apprehensive about when the season started has been just a joy, just a pure joy. And it just to – Taryn, you mentioned
2: the Boston game. That was his first start of the year. And he stared down that first line of Bergeron, Marchand, Pasternak. And they were out there at times with their top B pair of McAvoy and Grizzly on the power play. And it was terrifying to watch the way they moved the puck around. And he was there at every turn to stop their opportunities. Um, And, you know, the Flyers didn't play a particularly disciplined game in that game against Boston. And I think, as we all know, and we saw last year, if you give that Boston top line and particularly those, you know, those guys on the blue line that run that power play, they have McAvoy and Matt Grizzlick, who both can run a power play with those front, with that top line. It is a terrifying power play, and you're in for a long night generally if you take penalties. And that night the Flyers took penalties and Jones flat out bailed them out. There's no other way to say it, other than what he did in that game. And that seemed to have seems to have set the tone for his season, at least thus far. And that is super impressive.
1: Jordy, who's your biggest surprise?
0: Uh, yeah, so it's funny. Joe took mine. No, nice, to No, so I was going to go- think of
1: another one. one. No, I'm
0: just kidding. Yeah, I have, so I have another one. Well, so. this is how
2: you can tell. This is how you can tell. We don't pre-script any of this stuff. We don't. we just get one and In we In case pop. you
1: were curious from all the other yes. times that things have gone awry <laughs> on this show, none of it's yeah. planned.
0: <laughs> no, so I'm glad Joe picked Martin Jones. I think he has to be up there. 95 saves on 100 shots. That's crazy. Um, that is for wild. Me, yeah. I will go Justin Braun. How about Justin Braun leading the Flyers? Flyers defenseman in points and in plus minus. He's a plus eight, which is the best among the Flyers defensive group. He has seven points, also best among the Flyers defensive group. He's been really good. He's played 20 minutes a game. He's had to be a top pair guy again with uh, with Ryan Ellis missing seven games. So I'll say Justin Braun. I think he's been terrific Uh, and just real steady. When you play the right way, like he does, Sometimes points fall in your lap. Sometimes you get you get fortunate with some assist, and uh, he's playing the right way. He's been good. So, yeah, I'm going to go Justin Braun just because – Can it, I have
1: an honorable mention here? Yeah. Because Justin Braun prompted me of this as well. Whatever is in Justin Braun's, like – whatever, like water bottle, secret stuff, like from space jam, I think Claude Giroux is also drinking. And I think yeah. young season Claude Giroux, it has been, I've not, since I moved back from Hawaii and, and got back here, I think since before that, that big injury that he had, I have not seen him look this agile and fast. And he's always, he's always had that same compete level. He's always had that same like two-step burst. But like, actually, I I thought my first year working here, he seemed like he was really frustrated with himself that maybe he had lost a step, and with the like, it took him a full year to become himself again after that injury. I feel like this this year he kind of un, undid two seasons of of aging, and he looks like. And Justin Braun has the same thing. That's why it reminded me of it. Um, is I think Justin Braun looks faster this year than he's looked at any other year as a Philadelphia Flyer. And I think Claude Drew, I mean, I, I J.J. says it all the time, like he really doesn't think that it's playing for a contract. I don't know if it is or isn't, but if it is, they should just tell him like, hey, we're going to sign you to a one-year contract every single year just to keep you going and we'll pay you handsomely and we'll keep re-signing you, we promise. But like, because he looks – I he not that I think anyone should – if you're really around the team a lot and you go to practice every day, like Jordan and I joke about it, practice all the time. Like if Claude Drew falls down, he looks mad at the ice. Like he's that competitive still every single day. It's not a surprise that he can still compete at nearly 34. It is a surprise that he looks like he's aged backwards a few years coming into this season. And I don't know what it is, but sneaky, sneaky happy surprise is how, Because normally you'd watch that top line and like TK's all-star year, TK is scoring, you know, weird, fun goals that energize the team. And Sean Couturier is being Sean Couturier and doing everything you want. And Claude Giroux is there and he's still the star, but like, it's kind of, he was like underappreciated, I think a little bit. And this year you watch that top line. Claude Giroux is the best player on that top line most nights. And that's, that's been not the case all the time in the past few seasons. So I think Claude Giroux's start to the season is a sneaky dark horse surprise. And I hope it continues because it's been very fun to watch what he's doing. It looks like five years ago. Like it's, it's kind of bizarre. It looks like
2: Claude might've had some uh, like secret meetings in the off season with uh, Tom Brady or something.
1: He's yeah. on the TV 12 plan. Seriously. Stop eating strawberries and tomatoes. And here he is. <laughs> Talk is brought to you by Great Railing. Stop into Great Railing for
0: the highest quality and lowest prices on all your railing, decking, and fencing needs.
1: There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can events.
3: The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people are okay saying Claude Drew's not their best, the Flyers' best player anymore. Uh, but right now, he's kind of playing like one, like Taryn said, and that's a major surprise and a good one. Taryn Hatcher, how about a surprise that's not so good? for you so far through 10 games?
1: Ryan Ellis's injury. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's it for me. That's I mean, it, like it was something that we thought was going to be a couple of days and now it's weeks and now it's doubtful for a while. And, mm-hmm. and I, like, you know, he has an injury pass, but I feel like everybody kind of glossed over that when he signed here. Like it was all about his upside and and the downside isn't that like his availability is usually his worst ability and, yeah. <laughs> and that's not great. Um, because although I will say Nick Sealer was another happy surprise, I, you never really noticed Nick Sealer being very bad, which is the most you can ask out of someone in that situation. Like, just don't be bad, especially when you're, I hate to say it because Keith Yandel has done a lot of great things offensively in this young season, but like Keith Yandel makes some defensive plays where you're like, that was not ideal. Um, and Nick Sealer didn't compound that issue most nights. Um, but ideally, like with as well as Justin Braun is playing, if you put Justin Braun with Keith Yandel, that pair seems a lot more solid. And Ryan Ellis and Ivan Provrov, you want to see together. Like you, I think it changes Proby's game. And Ellis is a great defenseman. Him him being out for this long this early is like very concerning to me, um, especially when you hear AB talk about it being lingering because lingering issues usually linger and there's a whole season still to play. So, um, yeah, that would be the Ellis of it. All is kind of a, a, sad surprise. And, uh, and I won't even throw Kevin Hayes in that mix. Cause from everything I've seen from Kevin, Hayes skating and practicing and traveling with the team and whatever, it seems like he's very much like raring to go and hungry to get back, whether he's ready or not, but we shall see. But, um, his, his trajectory seems more like on the road to recovery where Ryan Ellis is is kind of like, where are we at today? So, yeah, I just, I need, like I said, best, best ability is availability. And that's just not been there.
0: <laughs> it is a little concerning that Ryan Ellis has played only three games because he does have somewhat of an injury history. You can't deny that. Uh, I think I found this very surprising. I remember when I was looking at defensive numbers Uh, between some of the newcomers on defense. Rasmus Rousselainen's played, he's in his ninth year. Ryan Ellis is in his 11th year. Rasmus Rousselainen has played only 15 fewer games than Ryan Ellis, only 15. And he's in his ninth compared to Ryan Ellis' 11th. That's because Ryan Ellis has been hurt. He has been hurt. He has missed games. So, you know, I think you'd be lying if you said you weren't concerned about this injury. So that's a go on, Taron. Ryan Ellis, that's their biggest addition of the offseason, and he's only played three games uh, I think the Flyers are hoping he's back in the lineup soon and really I also giving.
1: think I also think when it comes to Rasmus or Saline in Buffalo was gonna I, I also think with Rasmus or Saline like in Buffalo if he was had his foot put in a blender and a hand missing they still would have played him like 26 minutes of ice time to be fair. So I don't think a little bit of that is the buffalo of it all. But uh I'm just talking yeah. games play. I'm just talking games played I know though. I know yeah. I, I just I think uh I mean his his actually his durability from like my research when he first got traded here is, is like pretty astounding, but um, yeah. yeah, like Buffalo from my, from what I observed, it didn't seem like Buffalo was particularly like Rasmus is a little dinged up. Maybe we're going to not, we're going to scratch him tonight. I don't think that literally happened ever in yeah. nine, in eight years of playing in Buffalo. Yeah. Whereas I, I think maybe Nashville was a little bit more, but Ryan else also is just not as durable, but to your point, to, to be fair, but. Yeah. Um, and they're yeah, different. I think, guys,
0: uh, yeah. Body size, I think, like Rasmus is bigger and you can tell he doesn't like sitting where Ryan else is smaller. He has, you know, he's got to take care of his body. I understand that too. Yeah.
1: That's a little sizist. He is. Ryan else is a lot. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He's a lot of <laughs> No, just, I know. I'm just being a jerk. <laughs> I'm just being a jerk.
2: I, I will. I will say though Wait, that that, like that, you know. that stat is kind of um You consider how <laughs> Ristolainen plays, his style of play compared to Ellis, and the fact that he's only played 15 less games in those fewer seasons is is definitely a telling stat. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say if my, my surprise uh, on the not so good side, and and it might feel like I continue to go the negative route with this guy. But Travis Sandheim to me has been a a negative. And um, I don't feel like he looks like a confident player out there. And uh, he does show signs, the signs of of a guy that was a first round pick and a guy who can be a every game capable second line defense pair. But then I feel like he shows signs of a guy who, is still struggling to shed that sort of young player label and a guy who's still learning and not that players ever stop learning, but, you know, careless plays in his own zone the puck and, and, and other things that are, are concerning to me, like a, a one-on-one with a forward in a neutral zone. And the guy just blows by him when, when it seems like what we all know of Travis Sanheim is that he is a good skater. Uh, that shouldn't happen. It just shouldn't happen. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, felt like, I feel like this is a big year for Sanheim. Um, he got the new deal and it's a big year for him to step up and just establish himself as the, the second line deep pair guy. And it just hasn't happened over these first, uh, bunch of games. And, you know, I, there's plenty of season left, um, but, again, I, I I think the thing that stands out is I don't feel like he appears as a confident player on the ice, and I think that might be the most alarming part. And, again, the D-pairs have been all mixed up because of the injuries, so we haven't seen this uh, outside of the three games. We haven't seen this defense core at its full, um, at its full strength yet, but uh, I would say – You know, it's concerning the way Travis has played early in the season. And again, the way he just appears um, to not be a confident player right now.
1: I do think it's worth noting, though, Joe, because I agree with you. I mean, we talk about this all the time. And the interesting thing is, I do wonder, people are going to absolutely skewer me for saying this, at what point you lose the, he's a really good skater as like main strength vibe when your skating has looked bad quite frequently and last season as well. Like there were quite a few times where you're going like, Oh my God, this guy's strength is supposed to be skating. And Phil Kessel is making them look like he's standing still. And you know, Phil Kessel doesn't really seem like he's blown people away in conditioning drills. So what's going on. But I will say if, if, Ristolainen and Sanheim have figured out like their chemistry. And I think both of them have a bit of like reactivity to their game where they're trying to figure out what the other one is going to do. Still it, last game was their best game as a pair. And it looked like they kind of understood each other's assignment more last game. If that's the future of that pair, I think you, there's a, lots of reasons to be hopeful for, for that D pair and what Travis Sandheim can do. But it is interesting because I think I wonder if some of it is is the Phil Myers of it all as well, because Phil Myers had a bit of unpredictability to him also. And I think Travis became more of a reactive deep pair partner than he was just like playing within his game. And it seems like now sometimes he's still a little bit like reactive in a way that you just want someone to play, not think about playing if that makes sense I there's times on the ice where you go what was he thinking there because clearly he overthought it or clearly he he got one one second behind what he needed to do and then he made a bad play and I wonder if some of that is some reactivity to his old D partner who everybody talks. We've talked about a million times. Everybody says Phil Myers potentially has a super high ceiling, but part of the problem with Phil Myers is you also don't know when he's going to go wrong and how bad it's going to go. That was his main criticism. And I think sometimes Travis felt like maybe he had to be the bailout guy. And that became a problem within his game. And in my estimation, and I wonder with wrist alignment and especially with him not starting the season because of injury and his own reputation as a defenseman and his own D zone as well, specifically. I wonder if sometimes he's like, what is my partner doing? Cause that's what I I have to react to whatever. And I don't think that works for Sanheim. I think he just has to play. Um, But I think if, if last game's any indicator, they'll, they'll be okay. But the skating, the skating thing, I kind of can't get over. Like we spent, I spent two years sideline every hit I did. Like it was coaches talking about how good his skating is. And he does, he covers a ton of ground quickly, but like, sometimes you don't know where it goes.
0: <laughs> yeah. Sometimes.
2: It's yeah. Like... Yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say and Taryn, if you remember a couple seasons ago when you were still um, traveling with the team early in the season, when they got back from, um, where they had to Lausanne where they started the season, or was that the preseason? Frog. I can't even remember Frog. Yeah. So at Sandheim had this plague of of falling down in the defensive zone. Yeah. As a guy blew by him. I mean, it happened four or five games in a row. Um, and that was alarming. So he seems to get into these ruts of the bad play kind of spirals on him and it and it just builds on and you know. I think
1: it's I think it's the thinking about playing yeah. versus playing. I really do. I think I, and I think to be honest with you, you see it. And now we're just going to go on a defenseman tangent here, but I think it personally it bothers me. I know it bothers other people as we watch the games, we discuss it. I think Provy does the same thing when he's on the power play. Like I, I would love to see Yandel on this hot power play unit because you see Provy think about playing versus Yandel just like like changes. Pace and, and speed and makes these passes immediately without Like Yandel, it seems, is more instinctive quarterbacking the power play, whereas you can tell Provi is thinking about it. And I think maybe Provi will make fewer mistakes because he is more cautious in that way. But it reminds me watching Provi on the power play reminds me of when Travis Sandheim is not playing up to his potential because you can literally see like the gears turning as they have the puck on their stick versus. You know, when you watch Claude Giroux, Claude Giroux is like one step... Oscar Lindblom, super high hockey IQ. When Oscar Lindblom is playing his best hockey, he knows where the puck is going to go before he puts it there. And you can tell, like, he's so quick about his decision-making. Um, and when Travis doesn't think about playing and he plays, Travis Sandheim is is that guy who you understand why they took him so early in the draft and who has tremendous potential and is a very good defenseman. But I do I do think that some of his delay kind of like tape delay. Sometimes I think it is because of he's been conditioned that way from his, from Phil Myers, to be quite frank, as much as I really have hope and like potential for Phil Myers career. Um, and I think there's maybe a little hangover of that with Ristolainen because they're still figuring each other out. And sometimes Ristolainen gives you some stuff to figure out. So my two cents.
0: I think that second defensive pair again will be one that's going to, you know, you're going to need patience with. I think the Flyers understand that too. It's two players that are a little bit younger that haven't exactly figured it out in terms of their careers. Like they're, they're not Ryan Elson and Ivan Provarov where they've, they're accomplished and they're there. Like they're, they're established, excuse me, and they're there. So it's going to take some time. I think Sandheim really has maybe turned a corner. Two of his last three games, I would say, were pretty good. And I don't, I think sometimes, we, I know even us media folks, me included, we tend to microanalyze um, you know, his his bad plays. Like every little thing he does, bad, we we tend to highlight it. But then when he makes a really good, quiet play, we don't really recognize it as much. I, I thought in DC he played he played really well and no one really noted it as much, but that's just me. But yeah, I agree with Joe. He can be he can be more confident and better.
1: We talked about it on the post game show for an entire segment. Okay, so I would like to because I here's here's what I'll say. And I've talked a lot on this podcast, but whatever. Um there and I brought this up on a different podcast as well. There is a section of Sandheim apologists that every mistake he makes, it's like because of this or because of that. Like everything I just said. I mean, I probably just was one for the past 10 minutes when I was talking. Um, and on the flip side of things, in the same games where him and Ristolainen struggle an equal amount, it, it's, oh, my gosh, the Flyers lost this trade and this, that, and the next thing, and this guy's never going to get the Buffalo off of him, and, you know, he's trash, like, and, and whatever. And it's that dynamic of the benefit of the doubt versus the absolute doubt where I'm like, you guys, we gotta we got to put them both <laughs> at level – And then when they play well acknowledge the parts of the games that they played well. And when they play bad, you acknowledge where they play bad and you break it all down and you hope for more the next day. But to your point, it's like, I do think that maybe we're starting to see the true identity of that pair emerge. Um, You're starting to see Ristaline and get involved more offensively, which was a big part of his game in Buffalo. AV said he wants to see that bomb of a shot he has and all of that. And I think, when they get, you're starting to see them develop a comfort level where they are getting involved in that way. Sanheim loves to get in on the rush. Like there's lots to that pair. There's a lot of potential. And I think they're just finding it now. So I know patience is not synonymous with Philadelphia sports, but like, I do think we're getting to the, the brink of patience where it becomes something. So we'll see, but I, I gave him credit on that postgame show.
0: You did. You I did. said this was
1: Travis Sanheim's best
0: game. Yes. And I was watching too. I was watching as I was working remotely, and I heard you say that. And I feel like the guys on the broadcast uh, did a great job. Jim Jackson and Keith Jones both called out his positive plays uh, and recognized it. Uh, so no, it's not everyone. I think I guess I'm more pointing towards Twitter, where you see a Sanheim mistake and you you see it blow up your timeline. But when he makes a good play, it's like crickets. It's like it, you can't have it both ways. Like you got to be able to note when he does well and note when he does bad. But Twitter is dumpster fire. The thing yeah.
2: is, on I'm Twitter, gonna stay off Twitter dude. it's true. The thing is, on Twitter, if Sandheim didn't make a mistake, somebody else would either in the hockey game or in life or yeah. any other aspect of life, and people would just complain yeah. about that. Exactly. So, you know,
0: well, exactly. <laughs> so for I but, would
1: like, said, someone nice got job. mad at me the other day that I didn't talk about. Tw- Someone got mad at me the other day that I didn't talk about Clojure's struggles in the postseason enough, and I was like, "It's the fifth game of the season, and Clojure's playing well. Why do you want me to talk about postseason stuff back like 2020? I'm just never going to do that." So yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just I'm like, when we get to the playoffs, I'll talk about it for, sure. just for you, sir, who has a dog as your avatar but insults the way I look. Just for you, <laughs> I will do that for you, sir. God bless. Like
0: for my not so good. Surprise, uh, I will stick with the defenseman theme. I'll say Nick Sealer playing nine games. That's not, a, <laughs> that's not a slight on Nick Sealer. It was just that I did not anticipate the Flyers needing their seventh defenseman to play nine games. That's more than Rasmus Ristelainen has played. That's, of course, more than Ryan Ellis has played. So that is not a good thing in my opinion. You don't want uh, Nick Sealer, your seventh defenseman, playing nine of ten games. Uh, you want him when it's occasional or here and there. Uh, Good for Nick Sealer. I think he's a good player. He didn't play all of last season at all. And he's come in and he's really shown that he can be reliable and dependent uh, on. So I think that's good for Nick Sealer, but I certainly would like to see him playing less games, maybe down in Lehigh Valley a little bit, maybe in the press box that hasn't happened because of injuries. So for me, that's the not so good surprise. Um, I don't think a lot of people even knew who Nick Sealer was going into training camp. I had known him a little bit because I had to read up on him when they signed him, but other than that, didn't know a whole lot about him, and now I feel like we know a lot more about him. Taryn, Hatch- Taryn Hatcher is saying she knew all about him for the last five years. No, I
1: didn't. I have no problem owning my stuff. Like <laughs> I, t- to be fair, also like for the draft and the, for the draft and the trade deadline, I was in Hawaii with no TV and like poor internet and poor cell service. So like I was very much like when I could get an email through with press releases and stuff. For so I was playing catch up all summer long. But when we got into camp and it's like, oh, yeah, Nick Sealer's going to make this hockey team, I was like, spit take, like, what? And, but happy surprise. Like I said before, Nick Sealer, like, shockingly serviceable, which again is not a discredit to Nick Sealer, but like, you expect, I think, sometimes for your seventh defenseman to look like a seventh defenseman. And he's just, in a good way, you don't notice him when he's out on the ice, which is, all you can ask for like just don't be noticeable in a way that hurts the team and and beyond that I mean the drop in the gloves and the all of it getting Wells Fargo Center absolutely riled up like man's the man is at least this season a legend here in Philadelphia so credit to Nick Sealer, but you're yeah Jordan I mean you shouldn't this early in the season it's a little scary how much you call upon him
0: yeah I know Tara Taron, perfectly put, I, I would say, like, I haven't noticed him a ton, and that's a good thing. Like, you're not mm-hmm. noticing him, which means he's not making mistakes. He's playing sound, uh, and that's good. So that would be my not-so-good Nick Sealer nine games, more than Mr. Salon and, and Ryan Ellis. But we'll see if the Flyers can get healthier. They are 6-2-2. Two, two. They play the Maple Leafs on Wednesday night. Again, Taryn Hatcher will have pre- and post-game live, produced by, by our very own Joe Fordyce. Uh, Positive start so far for the Flyers. Six, two, and two. Tough to complain about that. But Taryn Hatcher and Joe Fordyce, thank you so much, as always. Taryn Hatcher's got one more point. Let's go.
1: Before no, no, no. I was gonna ask. I'm gonna ask publicly on the podcast. I know I should know this, but I'm gonna ask because it's a 7:30 puck drop, right? Joe? Yes. What time are we on air? 6:30. Um, yes,
2: 630.
1: Okay. So just uh, folks, just, just heads a up. It may be a different time. Um But seven thirty puck drop, so tune in to pre and post game beforehand. Um, But yeah, that's. I didn't. I literally didn't notice it was a seven thirty puck drop until like Sunday night.
2: (laughs) And it's uh, it's salute it's salute to service night, so I think there's a pregame some pregame festivities which we will have on the pregame show as well. Thanks to all
1: those who serve, my brother included. Shout out Kyle. I know you don't listen to this podcast, but in case you do, shout out to you.
0: No, amen to that. I love that. Absolutely a uh, massive salute to those who serve. And I was curious, too, when I saw 730, I was like, oh, that's a little interesting. So, Terry, I'm glad you mentioned that. 730 puck drop, 630 for pre and post. This off. is
1: this is literally like what TV is like, guys, is you're just checking the schedule the, the day before, because if you think too much about the games ahead, it starts to spiral and you get stressed out. So, yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So there you go just like the players
0: yeah just like the players we are game the game taking it one game at a time that's how we do it here Keep it simple yes but taryn hatcher thank you so much as always great seeing you great chatting with you both a big thank you to ben barry our podcast producer and guru and flyers fans as always thank you for listening to the latest flyers talk podcast presented by great realm wherever you get your podcast please rate and listen We can't wait to talk to you next time.